What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. I'm your host, Garrison Hardy, and with me, as always, Garrett Thigpen. Garrett, we're on episode 14. Can you believe it? I cannot. The season has flown by, but uh, finally here at the uh, one of the biggest weeks in college football, it's championship week, mm. uh, the week we really settle in and find out who's going to be in the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's the most exciting week, I think. It's the biggest week for, you know, playoff scenarios. Uh, everyone loves those uh, mm-hmm. discussions. So, right. yeah, it's a, it's a great time for college football. That it is. And it, just before we get in, I've got to do this. Did you hear that? I, I cracked open a cold one. Did you? Did, no? Okay. All right. It, it's it's just a ginger ale for the fans at home, you know, the, the drink of my people. Anyways. Oh, nice. Well, before we get going, we've got some news to get to. Um, that's, of course, one of our segments going forward. And in this one, we've got a lot of coaching movement as well as playing player movement. Uh, the transfer market is blowing up. But first, I figured we could start out with uh, some coaching movement as we have a new head coach at Michigan State, and that would be former Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith was, of course, a player at Oregon State back in 98 to 2001, took over the program for six years, went 34 and 35 with his win percentage, but he really had the program trending in the right direction the last three years, really. Uh, Did a good job rebuilding it, but I guess guess Garrett, he just looked at the Michigan State job and thought it was too good to pass up. Yeah, I mean, he's done really well at Oregon State from where he started in 2018 to now. I mean, 10 wins last season, a really solid 8-4. and four. Um, The Pac-12 is really tough this year, so I think 8-4 and four is pretty solid for Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's just difficult, given the circumstances with them and Washington State. Uh, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of players leaving. Uh, we'll talk about that later with Cam Ward being... Uh, the note most noteworthy names right now but mm-hmm. the, yeah it's just they're given their conference situation i just feel like the programs are in a bad spot and maybe if this wasn't happening they would have been able to hold on to him but with the chaos surrounding them i think that uh you know it makes it a little less desirable to stay in that situation and you know like the like the schools that they were uh fighting against uh, their coach now jumps ship to the Big Ten. So, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, I, I can't blame people for doing, you know, what's best for them in their career because you know, as soon as they have a bad season, he could be on the chopping block and get fired. So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, probably a, a good opportunity. I mean, it's gonna be tough in the Big Ten. You know, going to Michigan State, you're recruiting against Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, that's got to be tough, but mm-hmm. you know, probably more of a challenge, but also more of an opportunity. So uh, I can't, can't blame them there, but I can also understand Oregon state fans being upset, you know? Right. Yeah. A little bit of a punch to the gut there. And uh, it should be noted that the Oregon state uh, already has their new coach. They just promoted defensive coordinator, Trent Bray uh, to head coach. This was uh, Tuesday night. 
quickly replacing Jonathan Smith, so they wasted no time. And judging by the locker room reaction to when the players heard that he was announced, they they all jumped up and were excited. So uh, clearly he has the uh, support of the team and the players going forward. So all in all, sounds like uh, Oregon State fans are happy with the decision as well uh, to, to go with the defensive coordinator there, hire in-house, and uh, move forward. So that's Oregon State. Uh, what about Duke? Mike Elko on the move. He is off to Texas A&M. And uh, this was, the you know, uh, Texas A&M is a very high-profile job. You and I have been talking about this, Garrett. A lot of money pumped into the program. Elko, he was only two years at Duke, but he went 16-9 and for a 64% win rate. No big deal. 9-4 and uh, in 2022. Went 7-5 and this year, but also dealt with the injury of his, um, his star quarterback, uh, and that was... Um, uh, Riley Leonard. There we go. Um, so, you know, Duke's quarterback, or excuse me, coach Mike Elko on the move off to Texas A&M. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, he's only been a head coach for two years now, but I mean, Duke's not known for their football and it's a tough place to succeed at, uh, but he has done it, you know, nine and four last season, really solid. He had him as high as 16th in the AP this year. Um, they were looking really good until like you mentioned, Riley Leonard went down, which mm-hmm. really hurt them. And, uh, yes, but I think he's done a really good job considering, you know, just being at Duke, that's a tough place to win at. And right. he's done really well. So, and, you know, he was at Texas A&M as a defensive coordinator for three years, um, from 18 to 21. So he's got familiarity there with them and their fan base. So, um, going back now to be the head coach. I mean, I can't blame him for taking this job. I mean, they have all the resources in the world. We've we've talked about them throughout the year with their situation with Jimbo. Um, yeah, they've they've got all the resources. They have been recruiting really well, lots of talent, and yeah, that's I mean, that's a that's a prime job, the SEC. And um, yeah, I think this is a good hire for him. Uh, bringing someone who back who was there before. Um, they struggled defensively a little bit this season and he's a mm-hmm. you know that's his forte you saw what he did at duke they had a really solid defense this year and uh, i think that's what they're looking for in a head coach so yeah i think that's uh i think it's a good hire for him yeah absolutely and and you know to to be fair to elko i think i think duke he's probably taken that program about as far as you can to me that just doesn't jump out as a destination for transfers nor a destination for the top tier recruits. So, um, you know, he, right. he, I think there's only so far that you can take, uh, Duke in my opinion. And that's, that's why to me, this, this really makes sense. You know, there's, you can make the argument. There's been other schools like, uh, it, who maybe weren't originally thought of as football royalty, like Virginia tech who went on these crazy runs and it, it, but it, to me, Virginia Tech just kind of uh, they're they're not a blue chip program, but they're a program that you've seen can pull it together. And I just didn't I've never gotten that feel with Duke, even when they were pretty darn good. Um, who knows if that would have been different with uh, Riley Leonard, like you said. Um, but uh, yeah, it, nonetheless, good hire there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I was just saying, I think that's. Uh... You, you hit it right on the head. That's about as far as you're going to go probably with Duke. They're just, they're not at that level where they can become, I mean, maybe eventually, but 
not in the near future where they're going to have any chance of becoming a powerhouse uh, like right. someone like Texas A&M could. They're not in that position. Right, right. So uh, Coach Elko off to Texas A&M. Aggies have found their coach, and we'll see how he handles the booster vibe there well judging by the uh press conference room when he got there i mean everybody was pretty happy with the hire so how long will that last (laughs) you that's that's the thing with these coaches who take these bigger profile jobs is the sharks are you know they're at bay for now but the second that you start to slip up immediately you got to be looking over your shoulders a little bit especially at a program like a&m so i wish elko the best on that end um and then uh, not really uh, any coach coaching movement, but an unhappy fan base. Garrett, over the last couple of days, I've heard nothing but complaining. Well, not all, not all complaining, but nothing but an ups, an upset fan base in Ohio State. Uh, I, I've even heard people whispering like, uh, "Should we fire him because he can't beat Michigan?" And uh, I'm frankly just a little baffled by it. I'm just just looking at his record here, Garrett. He is 56 and 7 for a win percentage of 88.9%. Uh, his bowl game, uh, 2 and 3, but one of those, to be fair, was a playoff loss to Georgia um, in the final seconds. Those darn kickers, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. just a pretty successful uh, run thus far. He also did make it to the national championship game, um, a game which he lost. I believe that was the. 2020 um sugar well he won the sugar bowl but then the uh, 2020 college football playoff championship uh that was alabama and ohio state and uh um, yeah they got beat pretty good on that got one. annihilated yeah Devonte smith had a good day so there you go but yeah is is this criticism warranted garrett i think it's understandable for ohio state fans to be upset i mean I understand how good they are, but you always, I mean, you, you, they're going to hate ending their season with a loss to Michigan every year. So, I mean, they're definitely is, like I said, I mean, as an NC state fan, I hate losing to UNC. So I understand their pain, but um, you know, I think big picture and I think the program understands this. I don't think his seat's actually hot in any way. And I don't think that, um, you know, I would say a majority of the fan base is understanding, but there is going to be those few th- with uh, very loud opinions that, you know, and I, I've heard them as well as you that, you know, they did, they're, they're sick and tired of losing to Michigan and they're sick and tired of these disappointing seasons. They feel like they should be competing for championships and they're not. And I understand that they, they have, uh, you know, the best recruiting classes every year. They have all the resources. They have the the pedigree, and every year they're you know they're picked in the top four, and it's been disappointment after disappointment the past few seasons. But I mean, like you said, you look at it as a whole. They're winning eleven games the last three years, right? And uh, it's, it you know when you step back and look at it, I think anyone with any reason would say uh, we're fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, three in a row in the grand scheme of things, like it happens. This last game. I mean, Michigan's an amazing team. They're maybe the best in the country. And that was a game that went down to the wire, you know, right. one completion on that last drive and you, maybe they win the game. So, right. Um, you know, and that's going to happen. I mean, Michigan's, you know, you want 
Michigan's a historic program the same way that you are. And they're one of the best teams in the country the last few years. And when they're at the very tippity top, that's, I mean, how, how much more do you want? You know, mm-hmm. like those games are going to be tough and you're going to lose some of them. You can't expect to just be, I don't know. It, it's just, un, I think it's unreasonable expectations at that point. Right. Um, to just want to be able to beat them every year. If they're one of the best teams in the country, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, same with, you look at Alabama and Georgia. I mean, uh, you know, Georgia's the, the standard right now. And as Alabama, you can't have the expectations to say, we're going to fire Saban if he can't beat Georgia. I like, right. You know what? That doesn't make sense. You, what, what are you going to, yeah. Like, what are you going to go do? Get Kirby smart. Like that's about <laughs> it. That's probably can do it. He's not leaving. So swap. Uh, it's just, it's a little bit ridiculous to have that expectation to be, I don't know, the very, you know, the very best, especially with considering Michigan is, you know, maybe the best team in the country. It's right. I think it's just unreasonable. Yeah, no. From my side looking at it, uh, there were plenty of Ohio State fans. And by the way, Ohio State dominated Michigan for over a decade. I think it was 11, 11 years where the, they maybe lost once to them in that span. Really, the last mm-hmm. 15 years, it's just been Ohio State, Ohio State. Until the last three, where Michigan's finally popped through and during that run of dominance ohio state fans would jokingly say yeah i kind of wish we had the rivalry back and well here you are (laughs) michigan came back and they came back with a vengeance and they've been dominant in those games running the football and uh, really have made ohio state go sheesh we're we're maybe not as as physical as we thought here uh it's these things happen in sports and that's why it sports are so great it's the anticipation going into a game knowing, man, this is going to be a battle of behemoths and we might not make it out. Um, so, and, and, and just to, uh, as an aside, as a Washington State fan, shut up. All right. I would be so happy with 11 <laughs> wins. Like, I, I just, it, I don't care if we beat, lose to the Huskies at, with 11 wins. You know what? Great. Although there was that one year where we had 11 wins and the Huskies got us and we had a chance at sneaking into the college football playoff. That that did suck. I'll grant you. But I'm just saying, be a little bit more grateful. So there you go. There's my two yeah. cents. Yeah, and I was just going to say, look at where Ohio State's at right now. You know, they lost to Michigan and there's still a slight possibility they could sneak into yeah. the, the playoffs. I mean, they're sixth. It probably won't happen considering they have to sit out. Mm. But uh I mean, there. I mean, how many teams can say that? You know, that they they lost that they're sitting out and they still have a chance to get in. That's how good they are. Right. Like, well, how much more can you want? Yeah. When you're that, you're just that dominant. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's. I just think it's a bit ridiculous. And um. Yeah, and that, part of it too, maybe uh, maybe the Big Ten eventually, uh, they switch to the, they get rid of the divisions. Yeah. Maybe they just take top two. And then in that case, you'd be playing for a championship the last three years, even though you lost. Right. So, well, this wasn't in the yeah. show notes, Garrett, but can we just talk for a second at how stupid this whole division thing is for the Big Ten? Easily, uh, what is it, the Big Ten West with Iowa? That has got to be the worst, arguably the worst division of major conferences in college football. I'm sorry. There's just, there's no getting around it. Iowa uh, went up against the likes of Michigan State, Purdue, Wisconsin, 
Nebraska. Uh, who else is in it? Illinois. Uh, just a really, really bad division of football. And and this is the kind of championship game we have to we have to deal with now is Michigan versus Iowa. When we all know it should be a rematch of Michigan and Ohio State, just like we're getting in the Pac-12 with Washington and Oregon. Um, just yeah, yeah, do better, Big Ten. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you just, a uh, perfect example, Oregon-Washington. I think everyone would love to see a rematch of Michigan-Ohio State instead. And, For a championship. I mean, that, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, that championship game has just been a formality for the last however many years. Mm-hmm. Though I do get the argument, if uh, if they did go down there and, like, say they did it this year and Ohio State beat them, I'd be pretty upset if I was Michigan and we split one and one, but they get the championship. Right. Like, that's true. I'd be like, why? That would take away a lot of the meaning from the first game, you know? If <laughs> they just, re- if they were already going to run it back, the- if they were just going to run it back the next week and that was the game that mattered more. <laughs> the game but, uh, version two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could, I could see that argument too. But um, yeah, at the same time, I mean, the Big Ten championship has just been a complete waste of time the last few years really for a long time and i don't see how right. it's going to change anytime soon yeah um but yeah and when um i'm not mistaken uh that game is normally played they play that game on saturday they do play it on saturday okay yeah i mean that game is just a formality I, I think even if michigan loses they're probably in the playoffs but we can talk about that later excellent excellent all right well uh that's that's all I had on that end. Now, let's look at week 13 reactions or rivalry week here. Uh, before we have any, I guess, jump into the in-depth game, which the one we want to focus on is Ohio State and Michigan, of course. Uh, first, let's do some quick reactions here, uh, starting with, you know what? I'll take this one. Washington State at the Dove. And I just got to say, it was a fantastic game. I was honestly pretty thrilled with how the game went. I mean, WSU was hanging with a top five ball club in Washington, one of the more historically good Washington teams. And the Cougs were hanging right with them, punch for punch. Uh, It looks like that game against Colorado came at exactly the perfect time as far as just uh, being able to get back into the groove of things, realize, oh, hey, we can win a game and head into Seattle. Um, And Cam Ward, he played excellent, albeit on one of the plays, he really should have ran for it on that fourth down and probably could have picked it up and gotten it and put some points on the board. But I digress. WSU played their hearts out. It just wasn't meant to be. And their defense held, holding the UW to 24 points was pretty remarkable. Once again, the Husky defense has to pick it up. And uh, rivalry games, they're always tough to predict, Garrett. You know you know how it is. And um, so yep, the Huskies yep. escape 24 to 21. Did you see anything out of that game for the Huskies to be concerned about? Yeah, I mean, and we could talk about it later with previewing their game against Oregon, but um, I mean, they've been struggling the past couple of weeks and this was, you know, similar to the, the Oregon state game the week before, um, a close, low scoring game. And, and yeah, you saw their offense stall out at times against a team that they really shouldn't, you know, previous, I feel like in the beginning of the season, there was nothing that could stop this offense, even Oregon. I mean, they, they were just rolling through everybody and now they're 
we're seeing him struggle in games like this. And so I, I think it's become a, a pattern now that, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a, a concern for them. And, um, again, something we can talk about it later, but mm-hmm. Jalen Polk, I mean, non-existent in this game, start out the Drops. season as a dynamic duo with him and Roma Dunze. And this is two straight games now without a catch. And yeah, yeah you mentioned drop problems. Um, He's just been a non-factor, right? And that's going to be a problem for them going forward. Hundred percent. Like, like, uh, like you said, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, keep an eye on that. We saw it in the Oregon State game, but that was a little more understandable given the weather conditions. And I just thought, well, I mean, a lot of people would struggle in that environment. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, against WSU, it seemed it was more of a confidence issue, which is not good, right? Um, so yeah, keep an eye on that there. Now, Garrett. The Iron Bowl. It yes, it lost a little bit of its glamour with regards to Auburn losing to New Mexico State, but we'll talk about them in a moment too. Um, but hey, they bounced back and they pushed Bama to the absolute limit, and it all came down to this play right here. Take a listen, folks. That's all it is. But there's a lot of airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking. Firing near corner. It's caught. Touchdown, Alabama. Isaiah Bond on a fourth and a mile. Absolute. uh, The Alabama miracle, let's call it. Isaiah Bond scores the game-winning touchdown on fourth and, what, over 30, Garrett? That was... uh, Yeah, I think 31. Remarkable. Yeah, no, that's, I mean... Watching it, I just I kind of wrote it off. I figured they were done. Season's and over. I was like, man, that's gonna. That's, yeah, I was like, man, that's taking a lot of uh, the excitement out of the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. Alabama's not gonna have anything to play for. I mean, yeah, I just I didn't I didn't think they had any chance. I mean, fourth and fourth and goal from the thirty-one. Right. What I mean, what are the odds? One play from the thirty-one. That just it seems too easy to defend. Mm-hmm. Too easy to stop that. I don't. I don't. I just don't see how you even score. Uh, but they they made it look a little, a little easy one on one in the back of the end zone. He just threw it right to him. Uh, I mean, it was a, it was a good play and a good catch. And the the receiver, I mean, uh, he he did well to get you know play physical and get an arm up there and kind of create a little bit of separation. Sure. Um, I'm glad they let him play. And yeah, I think uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. It was exciting. Um, you know, their revenge for the kick six. Yep. yep. And yeah. Uh, fantastic ending that yeah that that's what i will say about the iron bowl is it has had some amazing moments auburn in general uh jordan hare stadium has seen some incredible historical college football moments like we're talking about the Mm -hmm. the the georgia game uh what do they call that play the not pick six or whatever where the ball that bounced off of the georgia defenders defenders. into the hands oh just incredible and and the poor Georgia quarterback. What was his name? Aaron Aaron Murray. Um, I, I I think it was Murray. It was Murray was the last yeah. name. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was just sitting on the sideline like you've got to be kidding me. And they lo- they were up thirty five thirty one. Auburn wins that thirty eight thirty five. And then of course the kick six where Auburn cements their spot into the national championship game that year. And uh, and now this so. A really tough break for Auburn, <laughs> but uh, they were hoping to play spoiler, but it just didn't happen that way. Um, yeah, fantastic game 
And uh, Jalen Milrow, he was pretty excited afterwards saying, give me that Heisman in more colorful language. (laughs) Uh, 16 of 24, 259 yards, two touchdowns, and 18 carries for 107 yards. So uh, Bama will, again, more foreshadowing here, but Bama is just clicking on all cylinders offensively, at least, with uh, Milrow. Although something to keep an eye on, third down efficiency against Auburn was not good. Six of 16 on the day. Um, and penalties, eight penalties for 72 yards, something they're not going to be able to do against Georgia. So I'm sure Saban knows this. He, he doesn't need me to point it out. But there you go. Um, <laughs> great game in the Iron Bowl, as you said, Garrett. Um, let's see. Oh, here's a here's a smaller one. Kentucky upsets Louisville. Whoops. Louisville maybe uh, maybe looked ahead to the the ACC championship game a little too much. They were at home too. Uh, you and I both picked uh, Louisville just because they were at home. Yeah, I mean they've been great at home this season. Uh, so this was definitely a surprise, and yeah, a little bit a uh, little bit shocking, a little bit disappointing. Obviously, going into the, I, I don't think they had shots at the playoff, even if they won out. But right, you know, right. it's definitely it puts a damper on the season. Kind of like we talked about, you know, regardless of how good the season is, you want to beat your rival. They want to win the Kentucky game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to lose at home definitely disappointing. They, uh, especially they, I mean, they dominated them in terms of yardage, outgained them by 114 yards. But uh, the three turnovers is. You know, that's tough to overcome. Right. So they've got a turnover issue the past few games. So um, going into Florida State, that's something they're going to have to fix if they want to have a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And goodness, the time of possession in this game, they had over 36 minutes of time of possession. That's Louisville to Kentucky's 23. Like you said, two fumbles lost, one interception thrown. And that was all she wrote. Kentucky, it was a very exciting game. Kentucky actually scored in the final minute to go ahead 38 to 31 uh it was a 37 yard run from ray davis and uh kentucky comes out on top for the win to improve to seven and five on the season uh so there was a little uncertainty there with regards to the kentucky uh uh coach uh is it it's Mark Stoops? There we go. I always, I always want to yeah. say Bob, but it's Mark Stoops. Bob, yeah. Uh, by the way, Mark Stoops, the second longest tenured head coach in the SEC behind Nick Saban at Kentucky. He spent over a decade there. Um, so pretty remarkable stuff what he's done at Kentucky. That that's got to be highlighted there. Uh, but he is a yeah. a hot he's- commodity in the carousel right now. Yeah, rumored they initially thought he was going to Texas A and M. Until they mm-hmm. pivoted to uh, to Mike Elko, but um, yeah, curious to see uh, where he ends up or if he just stays back at Kentucky. Who knows? There you go. Uh, there was a game down in Florida, Florida State at Florida, and uh, Garrett. I, I know I've told this story already, but for the fans at home, uh, my dad was interviewing for a job down in Tallahassee, Florida, for a classical Christian oh, wow. school, and uh, we got the opportunity to go to a Florida State. Florida game in uh, Doak Campbell Stadium, 82,000 people. And this is when Florida was still, you know, they were national contenders. So was Florida State for that matter. Uh, this was uh, with uh, Chris Winkie. Uh, he was 28 years old at quarterback. And um, uh, just the environment. Don't get me wrong, on TV, the oh, oh, oh gets a little old. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're there, it's just awe-inspiring 82,000 people doing it 
uh, very intense rivalry. And then when we, the Florida, the family we were with parked next to some Florida tailgaters, we came and they had Florida state stickers all over their car and whatnot. Good, just good, happy Christian family. When we get back out from the game, the mirrors are torn off of their car. It's that kind of a rivalry. <laughs> so, wow. They, people in the South, let's, come on. Let's make it a matter out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those Southerners. <laughs> um, so, anyways, that fast forward back to th- this day and age, Florida State in a tough scenario. They're down 12 to nothing. Their backup quarterback takes a safety in the end zone. And it's 12 nothing Florida. Things are not looking good. And wouldn't you know it, Tate Rotomaker and the Seminoles are able to come back and win 24-15. to uh, Trey Benson with the Trey, 19 carries, 95 yards, three touchdowns for the Seminoles. They survive and move on. Yeah, tough game for them. I don't think. I mean, they got a win, nine, nine-point win uh, on the road, but. It's definitely not a good look against a you know five and seven Florida team. Uh, they struggled as much as they did, especially offensively. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously that's where you're looking at how much of a drop off are you going to have at quarterback if you're going to you know, especially the spot they're in, given that they're up for a playoff spot. Right. Uh, this is not a good uh, a good showing to say, hey, we're still uh, we're still just as good now with uh, without Jordan Travis because. Yeah, they got outgained again by a five and seven Florida team. Mm-hmm. Only putting up two hundred and twenty-four yards of offense. That's that's just rough. Um, they right. had to rely on the defense to come through in the second half and put them in good position. But yeah, Trey Benson again. Their their ground game is pretty solid. Trey Benson's an excellent running back. He's had a good season, and, and you know, going ahead to Louisville and possibly a playoff game, they're going to have to rely on the ground game. Cause I don't, you know, I don't think Rotomakers at that point yet where right. they trust him to, you know, throw it 20, 30 times a game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they saw it against a pretty weak Florida team and it didn't, uh, it was not great. So yeah, um, definitely a little bit concerning for a Florida state fan, you know, um, you're happy to just win these next two games, but I think that given the situation that they're kind of on the outside looking in now, right. They kind of need some style points too. They need to prove that they're still a really good team. And I don't think this was a great step in that direction. Right? No, I completely agree. A lot of the chatter I heard from Florida state fans was, well, at least we covered. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're going to need a little bit more than that at this point in the season, especially with so many great one looking or one loss uh, looking teams nipping at your heels from behind. Um, uh, you know, uh, Oregon has just been dominant all season. If uh, if Oregon wins and Florida State wins, and it's another one of these ugly games where Florida State barely hangs on to win, uh, there may be something to be concerned about. Um, we'll we'll talk about that here in a, uh, just a, a moment. Um, but yeah, Florida State uh, looking a little shaky at the moment. Uh, last one here. Georgia Tech challenges Georgia. They lose thirty-one to twenty-three. But uh, man, I I, I was kind of surprised that Georgia Tech was a- able to hang with it as much as they had. Uh, they they scored first. They they uh, jumped out seven nothing. Georgia quickly responded, but it was back and forth the entire game. Uh, well, that's not true actually. Georgia was in the third quarter able to put um, uh, ten points on the board. 
And uh, they they have a three score skid uh, that is Georgia Tech, where Georgia extended the lead twenty one to thirteen, and then they added ten points to that in the third to make it thirty one to thirteen, and then Georgia Tech you know made it a little more interesting in the fourth, but by then it was kind of they needed they needed big plays to happen. So um, nonetheless, Georgia Tech they they should be proud honestly hanging with them. Yeah, I mean like you said they they scored at the end to make it a little more respectable. Uh, but they started the game off pretty well. Like you said, they were uh, only down one going into that final minute of the half and then three straight touchdowns or three straight scores, 17 straight points for, for Georgia kind of put them ahead. And yeah, um, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, like you said, with a rivalry game with Washington, Washington state, it's uh it's always gonna be a little bit tougher right and these things happen we saw it also with auburn alabama Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't think this is necessarily uh you know something to worry about if you're a georgia fan i think you're uh these things happen and you're just fine and you know i don't think anything in particular looks too bad it was just a kind of an ugly game um a couple turnovers a pick from beck a fumble from dejan edwards um but overall i mean they they ran the ball pretty effectively Mm -hmm. uh 262 yards almost seven yards a carry uh carson beck only threw it 20 times but fairly efficient outside of the pick so right uh yeah georgia tech just made a little more respectable by scoring a touchdown with a few minutes to go and georgia had a couple turnovers that kept them in the game so I, i don't think it's anything too concerning i don't think they looked i don't think they you know looked bad Right. It's one of those games, you know, similar score line or similar spread to the Florida State game. But I think Florida State looked a lot worse uh, yeah. and had cause for concern as opposed to Georgia, who I think the score was a little closer than the game really was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Kendall Milton. 18 carries, 156 yards, 8.7 yards a carry and two touchdowns. Big day on the ground for him. And Georgia, like you said, moves on. Uh, now, the game that... Well, there it is. The game. Michigan and Ohio State took place last week to a lot of fanfare. And Garrett, we were both wrong. Michigan came out and they were able to pretty much run the ball like they like they had. And we thought Ohio State, you know, well, they can't. They've done it against Penn State, sure. But they can't do it against Ohio State. And they did. Now, uh, like like we did say, J.J. McCarthy did have to make more plays, but he's still only you know 16 of 20, very efficient, but also only 148 yards. So um, it was it was pretty much the ground game from Michigan, and we're looking at 156 yards rushing on the ground, 5.6 yards per play. Uh, but shout out to the Michigan defense that really bowed up because Ohio State outgained them at the end of the day, and uh, those two interceptions. From, uh, you know, we, we, you and I both talked about this. It it was that Kyle McCord, which version of him are we going to see? Are we going to see the Wisconsin Kyle McCord where he looks shaky on the road and throws a couple of picks and maybe not the best decisions? Or are we going to see the Kyle McCord that beat Notre Dame on the road and threw that game winning pass essentially? Uh, And we saw the former sadly for Ohio state. Yeah, I, I thought McCord, I mean, I thought he played okay. He had that first pick, which was a bad, a bad throw down on your own side of the field. It set up Michigan for an early score. 
and that really set the tone for the game. They were playing catch up the whole time. Right. Um, but you know, after that, I thought he came back really well. Um, they were moving the ball really well in that first half. And, you know, at halftime, I felt pretty good about Ohio state's chances, honestly. But, um, yeah, in the second half, uh, you know, their defense stepped up. Michigan's defense stepped up when they needed to. McCarthy, he didn't have to do a lot, but when he needed to, he seemed to make just some crazy throws, you know, under pressure, run, running out, rolling out to the sideline, throwing a dart along the sideline. I mean, he just, he made some pretty incredible throws. And that first touchdown, he thread the needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little bit lucky. Defender turned his back to it and it flew right past his head. He definitely could have picked it off. He was, he was paying attention, but in either way, when it, when they needed to, he made the play. Right. And, um, yeah, like you said, the, the picks were really the, that early pick that set Ohio state back from the get go was really the defining moment. In my opinion, it was just, mm. I think they played well the rest of the game, but they just couldn't come back from it. Yeah. And that final drive, they were able to, you know, he hit some big plays, to uh to Marvin Harrison and, and I mean talk about he, Marvin Harrison really stepped up when they needed him to seemed like every time they looked his way he was there to make a big play um but yeah that you know it, it just takes one play on that final drive they got pressure on him and he he threw up a bad pass and yeah. got picked off so right yeah credit to Michigan's defense for applying pressure um getting the early pick to set him up to to get a, to get ahead and um yeah, I mean, their I think their defense was really the key, and McCarthy as well. Just you know, when they needed him to, he he was there to make a play. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I still think Ohio State's an amazing team. Uh, I wouldn't be super opposed if you said that they were one of the four best teams. Still, I think that's, I think that's reasonable, but I think Michigan definitely just solidified themselves in that uh, top two with Georgia. So, right. Yeah. Huge, yeah. Uh, huge win for them, especially amid all the you know every all the noise surrounding the program yeah you know there was another moment in the game that i thought was pretty pretty big and that was when michigan offensive lineman zach zinter went down he suffered a uh, broken tibia and fibula during the uh, wolverines win and it was so gruesome that fox said they're not going to replay it um and uh, just out of morbid curiosity i looked it up and it yeah it wasn't good um are you serious i i I did i i I did too okay it was oof um which sucks for him because he's you know he's an nfl prospect so uh he's got he's got some a road to recovery there um six foot six 322 pound behemoth and and a good one at that but um he gave the crowd a thumbs up on the way out and it was 17 to 17 at that point michigan was driving down the field and there goes one of their star players just done and you could hear a pin drop and you saw the faces of the Michigan players uh there some of them were crying and you know seeing as somebody who's played you know football and been in those locker rooms and has seen teammates go down with gruesome injuries or a torn ACL or something it's it sucks a lot of it out of you that's your brother laying there and he's maybe mm-hmm. never play again and so uh, all that to say, when oh, Michigan, right the very next play, they give it to Corum, uh, or um, uh, yeah, Corum, and he busts off one of his uh, touchdown runs, and he flashes the the six five in the end zone when he scored. Um, to me, that was a a big moment as well 
uh, where they go back up 24 to 17. They then extend the lead 27 to 17 and Michigan ultimately would pull away at that point. And uh, yeah, uh, all, all that to say credit to Michigan. Um, I, I don't think I recall in recent memory, a team that's been under so much scrutiny and pressure outside pressure than this team here. And they've answered every call. So um, got to at least tip the cap to the players there. Um, okay. So that that's the game we really wanted to cover as far as looking back. And, um, you know, one thing before we move on uh, to playoff rankings, a last little bit of news here. We didn't touch on this in the news segment, Garrett, but uh, have you seen the transfer market? It's insane. Uh, players are changing schools left and right. And even one of uh, WSU's, uh, you know, Cam Ward is p- projected to make, you know, over a million dollars with a transfer. Oregon, Notre Dame, uh, to name a few. Uh, have reached out. Ohio State, I think, has reached out. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's cr- it's a crazy. Uh, I don't, we've never seen anything like this, obviously. But um, yeah, you mentioned uh, Coach Matt Rule. I forget what he said exactly, but you can fill me in. But it, what do you think of this, Garrett? It, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, the amount of players coming out is, like I said, we we haven't seen anything like it before it's probably going to be the new normal unless anything changes on the rules. Right. Yeah. Um, tons of quarterbacks coming out. I mean, you have Will Howard from Kansas state, Riley Leonard, like you mentioned, Cam Ward, mm-hmm. um, Grayson McCall coming out. Um, and then you've got KJ Jefferson in Arkansas. Um, Riley Leonard, by the way, I think everyone's pretty much almost a hundred percent sure he's going to Notre Dame. Oh man. Um, and then you've got uh, Texas A&M's quarterback, Max Johnson. He's going to North Carolina to replace Drake May. Uh, yeah, you've just got a ton of quarterbacks. Florida quarterback, Max Brown. You've got a mm-hmm. lot of quarterbacks coming out, especially. And yeah, I mean, there's talent out there. And I think you've even seen uh, some transfers going to Clemson. Maybe a sign that Dabo's finally realizing that Whoa. It, it's... <laughs> it's too big to ignore at this point. So, right. Um, yeah, just uh, a crazy last couple of days for, for college football transfers. I mean, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami is another, another big name in the, in the portal now. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see, we'll see where uh, all these players end up. I mean, it's just going to be, a, I feel like, I hope it's not a, just a massive shuffle every year. I do like building a, building a program and seeing guys stay all four years. That is nice, right. but, uh, with this new NIL deal, the transfer portal rules, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be like that. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see if this is the new norm. Yeah, and I guess a couple of things come to mind with this. Um, you know, on the one hand, for let's say for a for an NC State fan or a WSU fan, like we're we're more program builders. Let's let's call it what it is. You know, we're we're maybe not the the A plus tier program that's going to be able to bring in these superstars left and right where you're going to recruit people and you're going to develop them. And it just really, uh, this part of it sucks. Like Cam Ward, for example, he comes in, he has a shaky first year, but they keep working with him and build him. And don't get me wrong. He was talented to begin with, but uh, he he's developed into a fantastic quarterback and one of the best in the PAC 12, which is saying something because the PAC 12 is full of incredible quarterbacks 
and now a contender just gets to walk right in and say, hey, we can offer you way more than WSU. Come out this way. Okay, see ya. <laughs> and, and WSU's sitting there like, oh, okay. You know, and, uh, <laughs> now what? Uh, so in that sense, it's a major gut punch for a fan like me who roots for, you know, a lower, uh, a smaller program. But part, the other part of me is incredibly happy for the players. Like, uh, for the first time, the players are actually getting to reap the rewards uh, of of their playing and take care of their families and whatnot. I, I, heck, I wrote a thesis on this in high school of why players should be paid uh, for their efforts on the field back in the... And this, I graduated back in 2012. And this, the NCAA at the time was bringing in, you know, $14 billion a year. Uh, and that was just football, I think. Uh, and obviously it's gone up since then. You know, the TV deals have gotten ma- more massive and more massive. March Madness alone brought in, you know, a, a couple billion by itself just for a month of TV. And the players got nothing. And the argument was, well, they got a full ride scholarship. The, you can't put a price on education. And I'm like, well, they're also full time employees of the university, and they can't go out and get a job because they work full time already. And a lot of them are starving. You know, don't don't know where their next meal is going to come from. But sure, you have free education. So again, I'm torn right. on this. Um, I, on the one hand, sucks for a school like WSU, but on the other. Cam Ward gets to benefit from his hard work. Yeah, I think if this is what it takes for players to be able to earn what they're worth, then I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just going to be a matter of these schools figuring out ways that they can keep players uh, that are really valuable to the program. It's a little harder, I think, obviously, in Washington State's situation, just with the Pac-12 dissolving. Right. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot of players and coaches, as we've seen, uh, looking to leave. But yeah, I mean, I've seen it at NC State. Um, We have a great freshman wide receiver who broke out, got rookie of the year in the ACC. And uh, we just ensure we just signed, uh, he signed some new NIL deal to stay at uh, NC State. So Hmm. I'm happy to see that we're, you know, because I think NC State wasn't too big on NIL right. earlier on, but I'm glad to see that they're stepping up and deciding we're not. Because he could have easily gone to a lot of different schools, but seeing that they were willing to step up and uh, pay him, I don't know the details of how much he's making. Things like that, I guess, aren't really public. But right, um, yeah, I think it's just gonna be a matter of these schools deciding, and their fans really. Because I mean, I think it's mostly gonna have to be fan funded. Uh, these NIL projects. And so just a matter of, you know, how much these fan bases really want to, you know, keep players. So, right. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see. Like, like you mentioned, I I, I think it's overall a good thing that the players are being taken care of. So Mm -hmm. uh, if that's what it takes, then I guess uh, I'd see it as an overall positive for the sport. Right. And time and, you know, uh, the the schools will adjust, you know, right now it's crazy. It feels right. crazy because we've never seen this before. But over time, the sport will evolve. It'll adjust. And next thing you know, this is just going to be the norm. And uh, oh, right. man, let's check. Let's take a look at the transfer portal. See who we got. You know, it's it's going to become an exciting part of college football. Yeah. So um, don't worry, fans. Uh, stay relax. It'll it'll calm down. So, OK. 
uh, with that, we've got to get to these playoff rankings, Garrett. I mean, there 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 wasn't a whole lot of movement per se, except for Ohio State. Obviously, they tumbled down to number six um, after their loss to Michigan, and Washington takes their place. They move up to number three. Florida State moves in to the fourth ranked spot, and they're still undefeated. Um, and now it's uh, Georgia one, Michigan two, Washington three, Florida State four. Oregon 5, Ohio State 6, Texas stays at 7, and Bama stays at 8. What are your thoughts overall on those rankings? Yeah, I mean, I think this is pretty expected, Ohio State dropping down. I think it's interesting that they still have them ahead of Texas and Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, But because, I mean... They're, they're right there ahead of them, but obviously Texas and Bama have opportunities this weekend to get a big win and maybe jump them. Right. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty much what I expected. Not a ton of movement, just kind of sliding everyone up. I think that the barometer for how the committee's going to be judging these teams, because there's always a question every year of, you know, do we just do it based on whether a team deserves it or who we think are the actual four best teams? And the best barometer of that is going to be Florida State. Obviously, they're undefeated. They've had Mm -hmm. some big wins this season over LSU. I mean, granted, that was week one. But um, again, they're going to be potentially an undefeated Power 5 champion. And at the same time, I don't think anyone is going to give them a shot against any of these other top eight teams, given the fact that Jordan Travis is down. So the fact that the committee's continuing to keep them in that top five, top four, uh, even after Travis went down, says to me that they're not willing to really go out on a limb and say, we're only picking who we think are the four best teams. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone really thinks that Florida state without Jordan Travis is as good as these teams. What? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, I mean, they're staying in the rankings. So I feel like that alone is enough to say that that's not what the committee's going to do. They're not going to, they're not going to break from what they've been doing. They're just going to go with the status quo and uh, go off of what they think is deserved, which I get, you know, power five champion undefeated 13 and no season. Yeah. They may, maybe they do deserve to make the playoffs for how well they've done. But if you're going by best, I don't think this is, I don't think this is it. So I think it's going to be a tough conversation after these playoff games, when you're going to have to decide on that last spot between a, an undefeated Florida state and a one loss Texas. Cause you know, if that game's played on a neutral site, Texas is probably, I mean, they might be double digit favorites at this point. Right. But what's the committee going to do? You know, I don't know. That's yeah. going to be uh, a tough one. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, to me, the committee, some cracks are starting to form in my opinion with this committee. Um, uh, you know, early on, I liked how they were staying like, nope, it's what you've done on the field, and thus far, these are the undefeated teams. They deserve to be in these spots. And I was with them. You know, I, I get it. I completely agree. But now, with these variables that have taken place off the field, that, you know, it sucks for Florida State. They can't control what happened. But it, those things got to be taken into consideration. And Florida State just has not looked good with Rotomaker under center. They just haven't. That was an ugly Florida game. And I have a feeling that we're going to see an ugly Louisville game. That's uh, just my gut feeling mm-hmm. there. And 
if the committee puts Florida State in, uh, yes, undefeated, great job, great season. But to me, that that I'm struggling there, and they're going to put them if they put them in the playoffs. You know, I think they're we're in for a blowout uh, with Florida mm-hmm. State, and it's I just gonna, it's just going to ruin the experience. And then that team, whoever blows Florida State out, their experience is going to be tainted. And it would be Georgia one versus four. And Georgia would just annihilate them. And everyone's going to say, oh, see, Georgia, they only had to play one game. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now it, it it's just going to ruin that thing. I would so much rather see a rematch of Oregon versus Georgia from a couple of years ago where Oregon gets a chance. Mm-hmm. Bo Nix, he gets a chance for redemption. Uh, that is just such a much cooler storyline than, uh, you know, this Florida State team who has had unfortunate circumstances happen. Um, but because they're undefeated, we have to keep putting them in there. Um, yet at the same time, you know, with, uh, Oregon, you know, they have them jump up and they say, well, Oregon just passes the eye test. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. So when it's not in the top four, it's eye test, but, but with regards to the top four, well, it's what they've done on the field. So uh, to me, just the cracks are starting to show just a little bit. And Joe Clad, you and I were talking about this before the show, he liked the BCS system. Uh, and you can talk about, I guess, the other concern with the BCS system. But the BCS system had a lot more, uh, I guess, data and analytics. And all of this stuff was thrown into a computer, from my, my understanding. Maybe I'm wrong here. but uh, And the computer would spit out the top two. The struggle with the BCS was there were only two teams. And so some really good teams get, would get left out. Hence why we came up with the playoff system. But now, you know, we're, we have four. And I, I would argue that now maybe we're we're not putting the right teams in the top four. So, uh, what are what are your thoughts on Clatt's take there? Yeah, I, I definitely understand. Um, take you know, people are getting upset with the committee because it's kind of unclear what their what their goals are or what their criteria is, and I think it leaves a lot of little leaves a lot of room for interpretation, and I think that frustrates people because it's like it's hard to have consistency when you just have a committee voting every year and they're and again the criteria is not clearly laid out whereas the bcs system is a little more formulaic and that you know at least we know why one team was rated one way or the other um from my understanding of the bcs i think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of polls into consideration as well as um the um like the different rankings uh you know the based on statistics and whatnot uh so but if you look at like the ap and the coaches poll i mean those guys all have florida state in the top four as well so i don't i'd be curious to see if the bcs had any what that kind of ranking system would look like compared to the playoff rankings to see if it would be different i don't really know what it would look like right but I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I think that the reason you would need a playoff committee is if you wanted a group of experts who were willing to look at, you know, watch the games, uh, review everything and determine who are the actual four best teams. Cause I think that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're seeing, I mean, when you get the playoffs coming up, I think everyone would like to see the four best teams compete. I think that's the whole point of the playoffs. Right. And I think that's 
the idea, the, the best idea of a committee is let's get a bunch of experts to determine the four best teams because a lot of these teams don't play common opponents. You know, we, they play in different conferences and it can be hard to, on paper, determine who's the best. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the way they've got it right now, they've got the four undefeated teams. So, um, you know, they have the best record, but at the same time, that's not going to factor in Florida State having a quarterback out or the fact that, Oregon's a 10-point favorite against Washington this weekend. So I think that's the, the benefit of a committee is that they can look past these things and actually determine the four best teams. But as we've seen with Florida State, that's not what they're doing. So mm-hmm. I do question the point of the committee at this point if they're just copying the AP poll. Because, right. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing right now. So, yeah, I, I think they need a more clearly defined criteria if, if they want to gain people's respect. And it doesn't help when... They have the reveal show on ESPN and they discuss it for a while. And I love the discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that those are important, but then they interview the head of the committee every time and every year they get on there and they just dodge every question. They're very vague. They don't want to really give any details. And it's like, what, like if there's no transparency on why these decisions are made, and there's no clear criteria. There's no consistency from mm-hmm. what it seems like. It it makes people lose trust in it. And I could see why people would say, what's the point of this? Let's just go back to a computer that at least that's, you know, easier to deal with than some arbitrary group of people that may or may not be, quote unquote, experts picking the teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, but that all makes sense to me. And uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see how this uh, shakes out. And... Before we get to the games, uh, well, yeah, you you take this one, Garrett. Uh, should we start with the se- potential scenarios that people should keep in mind, or should we jump to the games first, then talk about scenarios? Um, I'm fine talking about the scenarios while we're on the topic. Okay. Um, you got one in mind? Well, I wanted to start with the crazy chance that Ohio State sneaks back in to the college football Mm. playoff. Now, uh, let me be clear a lot. And I mean, a lot would have to happen. I mean, but to be fair, a year ago, Ohio state lost to Michigan by 22 and still was able to sneak into the playoff and nearly upset George in the peach bowl. I'm sure you guys remember, uh, obviously the landscape this year, vastly different, but here's how it would need to go down. Georgia beats Bama that tied out of the equation. Michigan beats Iowa. Uh, an Iowa win would make the Buckeyes the third-place team from the Big Ten, and in, that would be an easy disqualifier. Uh, Washington beats Oregon. Losing the rematch would knock the Ducks out of contention. Louisville beats Florida State. This would be the biggest mm-hmm. piece of the puzzle right there for Ohio State. And then Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State beats Texas. Uh, this would hand the Longhorns their second loss. Uh, so this scenario would leave unbeaten Georgia, Michigan, and Washington as the top three. And that fourth spot would come down to the five non-conference champions, one lost teams in Ohio State, Florida State, and two lost teams in Oregon and Bama, Texas. And for me, that's that's what would have to happen then between because the but the 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 argument would come down to Ohio State and Florida State. And I mean, come on, uh, to me, it, the the hat would uh, be tipped towards Ohio State in that element. Yeah, I agree. I think in that scenario, that's an easy Ohio State in fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, yeah, a lot would have to happen. A lot of upsets would have to happen. 
Uh, I'm trying to think if there's an, any other way that one of those other teams is doesn't get upset if Ohio State sneaks in. But I, I don't think so. I think if Texas wins, they jump Ohio State. Right. Um, I mean, I think that's the main one right there mm-hmm. that they're going to have to contend with. And yeah, I, I mean, maybe if Florida State wins, I could, based on where the committee's done, I, I would say that if Florida State wins, it'd be hard for Ohio State to jump them. Right. But even though I think they should, if they want the four best teams, mm-hmm. but given the, their track record, I doubt they're straight from it now. But yeah, that's probably that's probably gonna have to happen. Florida State and Texas are gonna have to lose in order for them to get in. So right. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I don't think the Florida State loss is that improbable. But yeah. I think them losing and Texas losing to Oklahoma State is a little bit unlikely. But it's not right. it's not too crazy. Um. I mean, we've seen Texas look shaky and Oklahoma State randomly pull off great games. We saw what happened to Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely possible. I don't think that's. uh, And and I, you know, I would like to see if that happens, you know, if they sneak in as a uh, the fourth seed, them versus Georgia. I still think that'd be an exciting game. Yeah. And um, great. What if we got a a Michigan, Ohio State national championship? That'd be pretty exciting, too. Ooh. Um, but yeah, no, that I, I could see that happening. Oh, there you go. Uh, keep an eye on that one, folks. Uh, do you think Georgia gets in with a loss to Bama? Um, I've, this is, I mean, this is the hot, the hot topic. Everyone scenario, everyone is discussing. Cause you know, I think it's not too, uh, too unlikely. I think that Alabama Georgia game is almost a toss up at this point, but yeah, I, I think I think both teams would get in at that point. Mm. Um, and I think that would be fair because if Alabama can beat Georgia, I think that that would solidify them as one of the four best teams in my mind. So I'm fine with both of them getting in. I think the committee would probably, because I think both teams, it'd be hard to leave out. It's hard to argue that Georgia's not top four team, even if they lose to Alabama. Right. I mean, they're 12 and 0. They've been a con- pretty consensus in most people's mind best team in the country all year i don't think this loss would disqualify them from that and it's and if alabama goes 12 and 1 they beat georgia um i think if georgia's in alabama has to be in and uh so i think both are gonna have to be uh to be in at that point yeah the question that that makes it really hard for the other teams though because then you got michigan as a lock and then who's the fourth spot i mean That'd be tough, right? Especially if Washington wins. You got thirteen and zero Washington with two wins over Oregon, and, an undefeated Florida State. And you're going to kick Texas. them out. Texas, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think if Washington wins, they would be a, a fourth, mm-hmm. based on how they have them ranked already. But if Oregon wins, then you got a real conversation with oh, them geez. and Texas getting that last spot, and even Florida State if they're undefeated. So, right. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. In that situation, assuming all the favorites win, but then Alabama upsets Georgia, I'd probably have to go like Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and I mean, I would go Oregon mm. over Florida State and Texas, but I know a lot of people are arguing Texas right now, so right. we'll see. Right. I think the committee might even go Florida State just because Florida State's already ranked ahead, but Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'd go Oregon as a fourth personally. And this is just off your power rankings here. 
yeah that's just that's just my opinion gotcha gotcha yeah uh, a lot to consider here if i'm going off of just what i think's going to happen um i i think georgia will be locked at number one i th- i think personally they're going to beat bama um i've got michigan at two i mean because it's iowa and then i've got hmm, this is a tough one here because personally i've We'll talk. We'll, I'm spoiling this a little bit, but I think uh, Louisville could take down Florida State, and I, I, I think I'm leaning mm-hmm. that way. Um, so to me, what would then happen is we're looking at. Uh, to me, I would say number one Georgia, number two Michigan, number three Oregon, and number four Texas. So the Ducks take down the Dogs in the rematch. Texas takes care of business on their end. Uh, Louisville beats FSU, dumping the Huskies and Seminoles from the conversation. Bama is out due to loss to Georgia, and the Longhorns easily leapfrog Ohio State thanks to one more win and the win against the Tide in the conf- uh, and the conference championship. So, to me, I think that's that's what my gut's leaning towards: Georgia, Michigan, yeah. Oregon, Texas. I think Georgia's just looking great right now. Bama's going to give them a a real hard time, but. There you go. That's that's what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. If Georgia beats Alabama, those will be my top four as well. I think those are the four best teams in the country in that scenario easily. So, Bam. Um, and just good yeah, to have I, brands I like uh, Texas and Michigan back in the conversation. Oregon, too. Oregon's, mm. Oregon's heading that way. but Right, right, right. Well, a yeah. lot of... No, I think... No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think, that's, I think those are the four best teams right now. So I would be very happy to see a, a playoff of those four. Well, now we get to the games. So we can talk about how we think that those scenarios might play out here. As, you know, we start with the in-depth looks here. There's two conference championship games that I think are really worth diving into. And the first one, let's just start with the one that's happening Friday night. Washington and Oregon. The rematch. Earlier this season, they did battle in Seattle. Hey, that rhymes. Go me. Uh, <laughs> Washington got the win 36-33 to in route to their 12-0 and season. But, man, this was, this was a battle of titans, Garrett. And uh, it, it was a great game. But since then, Oregon has just been dominant. Absolutely dominant since that loss. Here, here, since then, they beat the Cougs 38-24. They beat Utah at Utah 35-6. Beat Cal 63-19. They beat USC pretty convincingly 36-27. Stomped Arizona State and stomped a good Oregon State team 31-7. They are hot right now heading into this game. Whereas the Huskies, you and I have talked about this all season, they struggled. They've had... They've had inconsistencies uh, both on offense and defense and now their second wide receiver their second best wide receiver Mr. Polk is struggling and looks like he lacks confidence I don't know Garrett coming into this one the Huskies are nine and a half point underdogs yeah I mean we talked you know I I picked Oregon in the first game I thought they were the better team Mm -hmm. and I feel like they played a better game overall just they had a lot of things that didn't go their way. You know, that last field goal attempt, they were a couple feet away from right. uh, from tying it up. And, you know, since then, we've talked about how they look like the best, the better team just uh, compared to Washington and common opponents. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's proven to be pretty true given the point spread in this one. Um, you know, and that also goes to show that uh, the committee's probably not going by best team concerning mm-hmm. Washington's two spots ahead of Oregon, and Oregon's almost a 10 point favorite. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty massive point spread in this one given the circumstances, but I think it's pretty fair. I think Oregon's the better team. You mentioned the uh, in recent weeks. Um, they've had common opponents and, you know, Washington two point win against Oregon state and a seven point win against Utah. Whereas Oregon blew both those teams out 31, seven against Oregon state and 35 to six against Utah. So, you know, since that matchup earlier in the season, Oregon has just been on a roll and Washington's been scraping by every week. Right. And yeah, I've, t- I've said it all year. Oregon's probably want the most them with maybe Georgia uh, most balanced team in the country. Um, they can run the ball uh, as well as anyone. They can throw it as well as anyone. Bo Nix is having a phenomenal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly, you know, him and Jaden Daniels for Ernest for the Heisman. Um, they're top 10 in both yards per pass attempt and yards per carry. Uh, their defense is incredible too. They're top 12 in both yards per pass attempt and yards per carry defensively. So, right. Yeah, they're elite on both sides of the ball. They have an experienced quarterback who's playing his best football. Um, they have elite weapons outside with Troy Franklin. And um, yeah, it's just, they're a complete team. And mm-hmm. they've been clicking all cylinders. They've been dominating pretty much everyone they've played. And Washington has struggled. They, like we said, struggled against Oregon State against Utah without cam rising. They've struggled against Washington state last week. Right. And their offense has just gone through so many low points where, you know, that was their strength. And when I look at Oregon, I see a team that I can't, I really can't find a weakness on their, in their, on their team. Right. Whereas Washington, I can find a decent amount. I mean, their defenses look shaky at times. They struggled to stop the run. Um, you know, going back and watching that Oregon State game, they could not tackle at all. Mm-hmm. They struggled tackling all season. It's been a, a problem for them. And then going against a good running back like Damian Martinez, I mean, he was just running all over them. Right. And um, so, yeah, the defense has been a little bit suspect. They struggle uh, on third down defensively, 86th in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, they can't get pressure on the quarterback. The they're 129th in the country in sack percentage. So that's good. Yeah. Right? Struggling. No, I'm just <laughs> it's, you know, it's better than seven teams. So yeah, but uh, no, they, and then um, offensively, they've struggled as well. Um, you know, going against uh, Oregon state, they went the entire second half, didn't score a point. Mm. And um, you know, you mentioned Jalen Polk. He's been absent since the Utah game. Yeah. Uh, hasn't caught a ball. And so, yeah, uh, I think their offense is pretty reliant on Roma Dunze right now. And the last two games, as well as in their first matchup against Oregon, so much of their success and their big plays came on just jump balls to Roma Dunze. Right. And he would just go up and get it. Uh, he did it multiple times in the Oregon game, including the game winning touchdown at the end. Just threw a, a jump ball really to him and he went up and get it, went up and got it. And so, and we saw, you know, I think he's had a. Uh, He's had six touchdowns in their last three games, mm. and half of them have just been 
throwing it up in the end zone and letting him go get it. So uh, they're pretty reliant on him. And in a rematch against Oregon, I just don't think that that's enough. I don't trust it. I think Oregon's going to see that coming. That's what killed him the first game. And I don't trust it to be so successful again this time. Right. And so with the offense struggling the way it is, um, it's it's hard to like Washington in this one. So I definitely like Oregon. Ten points is a lot. That's a big spread against someone like Trevor Penix or and Michael Penix. I mean, mm-hmm. and yeah, I just I don't I don't know. I think um, I think Washington plays well. They play, you know, they they've had a lot of close games, but you can always say, hey, it, they're, they're finding ways to win. And I think. Michael Penix in the offense is good enough to keep the game close and keep scoring, but I just don't think it's enough to to keep up with this Oregon team. Uh, Oregon's just been so dominant. Um, I don't see any way they can stop them. Their run game is so strong. Last time they played Washington, they ran it 40 times for 204 yards, mm-hmm. and I, I expect to see much of the same. I expect them to just you know run the ball over and over and over again, and. I think this game they're gonna have a couple more breaks go their way that um that goes in their favor. So yeah, I, I like Oregon definitely in this one. Yeah, no, you make a lot of good points there. And um with Washington, here's the thing that gives me some slight hope for the Huskies. It's that when the team has been down and looking at their recent string of games, it's been their offense that has been in variably inconsistent. I mean, Arizona ever since the Oregon game. Uh, Arizona State, 15 points. They were they rebounded against Stanford. Uh, they rebounded against USC. And Utah, they put up some good points. But then the last couple of weeks, just Washington, uh, uh, Oregon State, 22. Washington State, 24. And I, I, frankly, I don't think WSU has a great defense. Um, Oregon State, mm-hmm. I don't think they've got a great pass defense. And yes, you know, uh, I think Oregon State, I can give them a little bit of a pass given that the weather was not cooperating in the first half. Right, yeah. But still, just shaky overall. And it's been their defense that has stepped up the last couple of weeks and really been the ones to carry the team over the hump um, with uh, with Washington against Washington State. You know, great call on fourth down uh, to to really win the game right there. It, if the coup, if uh, they they get stopped on that play, that they're probably bounced from the competition, and Washington State upsets them. Um, mm-hmm. So, in that sense, I, I think a couple of things: their defense getting a bit of a spark, and uh, then their coach, um, coach. Um, wow, I can't think of his name right now. Um, it, he just that call, that gutsy call. Whether it was the the head coach making the call, uh, De, uh, is it DeBoer? I think it's DeBoer, um, their head coach yeah. making that call, and the, or their uh, offensive coordinator. Regardless, that was gutsy, and it won them the game. So uh, you know the Huskies clearly have the ability to think outside the box in order to go get the job done. So I would say those things give give me hope, and that I think eventually the the offense that they're just too talented, they're going to figure some stuff out here. Um, so that's what gives me hope for the Huskies. All that being said, <laughs> I think uh, I think Oregon is just on fire. Uh, and a couple of things to me point in Oregon's favor when we're talking about a rematch with the Huskies. Their rush offense is ranked 23rd in the country, and they average 188.8 yards per game. 
uh, 5.84 yards per carry. They've got a great offensive line. Good for 31 touchdowns on the season as a team on the ground, by the way. And Bo Nix, I mean, he can he can carry it himself, and he's very smart and selective with when he does carry it. And as a result, that helps Oregon to a top 30 time of possession ranking as well, uh, where they average over 31, 32 minutes per game when it comes to time of possession. I think the Huskies can run themselves into some problems when their offense isn't clicking. We've seen it the last couple of weeks where Penix just throws – three incompletions and now suddenly it's a quick three and out other team gets the ball in total control um and the defense mm-hmm. has had to rise to the occasion but when we look at oregon's offense is just a totally different machine here than what washington's defense has been used to the last couple of weeks oregon is right behind lsu i've said that numerous times second best offense in the country 540 yards per game it's it's a machine so I mm-hmm. don't, and, and they've just been very methodical and smooth the second half of the season since that game. And I just don't think that the Huskies defense is going to be able to get enough stops required for their offense to get them this win. I think Oregon's defense is also, Oregon's defense is also just much better than the Huskies defense. Um, you, you mentioned their ranking there. As far as total defense, they're 15th. So they're still an elite, a pretty elite defense in their own right. I think Odunze, Odunze is going to get a lot of attention. He's probably going to get double teamed. Polk, he really, he really needs to have an epic game, an epic comeback performance in this game if the Huskies want any chance in my book. Um, I think the front seven is great from Oregon, and the Huskies aren't going to be able to rely on the run quite as much. Um, and as a result, uh, I'm just leaning towards the Ducks. They've been on fire ever since the the Husky game, and they passed the eye test, as the committee says. Um, so uh, my, my money's on Oregon in this one. I, I agree with you, Garrett. Yeah, and just, um, you know, just putting in uh, perspective, Washington struggles. The last two games against Oregon State and Washington State, uh, they've been outgained in both those games in total yards, but just found ways to win. But on the flip side, Oregon just they're so dominant. In that first matchup, Oregon outgained Washington by 126 yards. Uh, it was just a couple fourth down plays, and then we mentioned that last last minute field goal that cost them. So, yeah, I think Oregon they're just they're just too well rounded. They're they're incredibly well coached, a lot of talent, uh, a lot of experience at quarterback, and I think that's just it's just gonna be too much for Washington. Um, I think, like you said, they're Washington right now is just a little too one dimensional. Um, I think that the the only way that they can succeed is if, like you said, they're able to spread the ball around. If Jalen Polk can have a big game, because Adunze is going to get a lot of attention, he's going to have his opportunities, mm-hmm. and um, he's going to have to step up and give the offense a little bit more, a little bit more breathing room, so that they're not having three and outs. Because yeah, like you said, they go three and out, and then all of a sudden Oregon gets the ball back. They run Bucky Irvin uh, 10 times down the field. And I think that's, you know, that's what they did the first game, right? Ran it 40 times for 200 yards. And I think they're going to try and do the same. So Washington has to be really patient and selective on offense so that they're not just giving Oregon um, multiple possessions to run it down their throat. Right. Because I think if, if, you know, if they get just a couple of those three and outs, I think Oregon's going to start to run away with it and 
you know, at that point, Washington's going to have to be really one dimensional, just airing it out every time. And I don't think they're in a position to be doing that right now. So yeah, yeah, I I just, I I trust Oregon a lot more in this one. They've been so consistent all year and um, 10 points is a lot. I don't know. I would maybe, I think Washington can can cover that. I I just, I like Michael Penix and Adunze. I think that they're going to have a little bit of magic left like they did in Seattle uh, and Washington right. in their first matchup. But um, I'm pretty confident in, in picking Oregon to win the game outright. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm more confident that it's, it's still going to be a good game, I think. Um, but like you, I'm, I'm with you. Oregon comes out on top in this one. And well, that that's this Friday, 8 p.m. kickoff, December 1st, welcoming in the Christmas season. So not a bad way to start. Um, the other game we wanted to take a look at more in depth is, of course, the SEC championship. I mean, we've got the number one Georgia Bulldogs, 29 straight wins in tow coming into this one against eighth ranked Alabama, who they're on quite a win streak in their own right. They've won 10 straight. They've responded since the early season jitters. Uh, Jalen Milrow is playing like a Heisman candidate, even though, you know, he's not going to win in my opinion, but uh, he, he's been playing fantastic both on the ground and through the air, very two dimensional. And that's makes him hard to stop. That's probably going to give Georgia some problems. Um, Garrett also worth of noting Nick Saban, I don't know what is the exact record is, but he does very well in Atlanta in these situations. Ever since he lost to Florida in that initial game, uh, he came right back the next year and Bama won, and it's been dominance for Bama in Atlanta ever since. So, with all that being said, and Bama really needing uh, Bama has to win if they want any shot of the playoffs. So it all comes down to this mm-hmm. for them. Uh, what are your thoughts? This one is such a it's such a toss up. I've said all year that Georgia is the best team in the country, but Mm -hmm. there's just that added element, like you said, of Alabama this time of year. It's so hard to bet against them. Right. And, you know, we we were really down on them the first few weeks of the season after the the loss to Texas, the struggles against USF. But this is just such a different team, mainly due to Jalen Milrow. Um, You know, there were questions if he would even stay the starter at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the season, and now he's you know, calling for the Heisman, but, uh, yeah, I think that it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I would consider Alabama a top five team in my mind. Right. And, you know, mainly due to, like I said, Milrow is playing out of his mind. He's throwing the ball really efficiently. They, they don't ask him to do too much, but when he does, he's, he's really smart with it and they're very efficient through the air. Uh, but he's so, effective on the ground too. Um, we saw in the LSU game, he was going toe to toe with Jaden Daniels um, yeah. with just killing you through the air, through the ground, just being a one man wrecking crew. So um, that plus the incredible defense has been really, uh, really impressive. So um, yeah, but on the flip side, Georgia is just, you know, like I said, them and Oregon are so well-rounded there. Right. Their offense is, you know, top 12 in the country in both yards per pass attempt and yards per carry. And then um, defensively uh, top five in yards per pass attempt, their secondary, probably the best in the country. They don't give up anything through the air. There's a, mm-hmm. they've had a little bit of a disappointing season in terms of uh, their rush defense. 
it's not been as good. Their, their front seven hasn't been as dominant as Georgia of, of last year and the year before. And we saw that against, you know, Auburn earlier in the season. They were able to find ways to run on them. But for the most part, overall, they've still been incredibly solid. And um, yeah, I, I just think that they're too, they're too well-rounded. They're too well-coached. Carson Beck's playing incredibly well. He's not making too many mistakes. And, you know, a lot of these teams, they're they're winning and without asking their quarterback to do too much. But Georgia does not mind letting Carson Beck throw it uh, 30 plus times a game. Right. He's been really efficient and he's been fine just airing it out. They've got a lot of weapons with Brock Bowers, Lad McConkie. Um, they've built a great connection. And um, yeah, so they're they're just so. So strong, it's hard to it's hard to bet against them. Um, I I really don't know on this one. Um, I think Georgia's run game has come on strong as of late. They ran it for 300 yards against Ole Miss, 300 yards and five touchdowns. Right. Um, they ran for 262 and three touchdowns against Georgia Tech last week. Um, then struggled against Tennessee with the run game, but then they go out and throw it for 300 yards and four touchdowns. So it's just hard to stop them. Alabama's defense is incredible, but I think Georgia's going to be prepared no matter what. Um, I think the key in this game is going to be whether or not Alabama can get pressure on Carson Beck. Right. Because this will be the best defense he's seen all year. And uh, Alabama's great at getting pressure. They're fifth in the country in sack rate. Mm-hmm. And so if they're going to ha- be able to find a way to disrupt him, uh, maybe give him something he's not used to this season and maybe throw him off. He's not, you know, he doesn't have that experience in these big games yet. I think that's going to be the key for them to have a chance in this one. So, oh, man, I, I'll, I'll hold my pick. I'll see what, uh, see what you, you have to say about this game. Okay. Well, here's, here's what's on the table here. Here's, here's how Alabama can win. Uh, and it's, it's all mobility. Um, to me, it all comes down to Jalen Milrow. The Bulldogs allowed nearly 100 rush yards to Auburn's quarterback. That was Peyton Thorne. Uh, that was Auburn's 219 yards of rushing total. That really helped Auburn hold 30 minutes of possession and be as competitive as they were back in week six. Uh, last week against Georgia Tech, we already mentioned this. The Bulldogs allowed five and a half yards per carry to the Yellow Jackets, uh, Jamal Haynes, to go along with two rushing scores from quarterback uh, Haynes King. And that's that's how that stayed as competitive as it did. And then, obviously, Jalen, he's in a class above both Thorne and King. And then the offensive line, which you and I you and I bashed on Alabama's offensive line for pretty much the first half of the season. But they've gotten much better. They've improved in recent weeks. And it's allowed Milrow more time in the pocket and given him more confidence to be more decisive while thriving. You know, he's still – and he had over 100 yards rushing again last week. Um against an Auburn defense. Uh, in his last four games, Milrow has uh, seven rushing touchdowns, 297 yards, uh, while just taking four sacks compared to 30 in the first seven, first seven games. So that mobil- Alabama has obviously evolved and adjusted, and it's allowed the receivers to blossom downfield. Defenses have to account for both Milrow taking off and throwing. He's shown he can launch it. And as as witnessed, obviously with that fourth and thirty one, um, so uh, it's it's hard not to like Alabama in that sense. But there's the but. I think if there's any team that's going to be ready 
and respond and be able to uh, give Jalen a difficult time, I think it's Georgia. And, ooh, this is tough. This is tough. Because that on the one hand, Nick Saban, it's really hard to picture him not being involved in the college football playoff and be, him being held out in that sense. Um, but on the other hand, Georgia is just a really darn good ball club. Um, I've got to stick with the safe pick here, and I've got to go with Georgia. I just think Georgia defensively, they're going to come in with a game plan catered to stopping Jalen Milrow. We've seen earlier in the season how a team makes Jalen. If you can make Jalen uncomfortable, then you've got a good chance. And we saw the blueprint from Texas earlier in the season. Get pressure on Jalen. You stop the run game. And suddenly you've got Bama in a tough spot. And I think if anybody can replicate what Texas did, it's Kirby Smart. Um, I so I make this pick very uncomfortably, but I'm going with Georgia in a very close game. I think it's going to be an excellent game. I think Nick Saban's going to pull out all the stops, and you know, but frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if Bama won. But uh, I'm going with Georgia, make yeah. it thirty straight. Yeah, I, I'm. I agree. I I really really like Alabama's chances. Um. You know, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'm, I'm going to lean Georgia, but it's very narrow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like 55, 45. Right. But I do have, I just trust Georgia a little bit more. I think that they're a little more well-rounded. I trust that, you know, if Alabama finds a way to shut down the run, that they're going to be able to get it done through the air. Or... If, you know, they're pressuring Carson Beck, he gets flustered. I think they can find a way to run it on the ground. I don't I don't think that they're as one-dimensional as Alabama is. I think Alabama's a little rely on the ground. I, I do like what you said, though, about, um, you know, that Georgia struggled a little bit against rushing quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that is going to be key for them offensively is how well Milrose is able to escape the pocket and not just be forced to to beat them through the air because um, it's a little bit. I know we said this about JJ McCarthy that we don't trust him right. uh, if he's forced to throw it. And that is how I feel about Milrow right. uh, a little bit, but uh, against this Georgia secondary who is probably the best secondary in the country. Mm-hmm. I don't trust Jalen Milrow to throw it. And with uh, uh trying to run a power run scheme against this Georgia defense is going to be so difficult. Right. So I, I like Georgia's defense. Um, I think they're going to be able to cause more problems for Alabama than Alabama is for Georgia's offense. So, right. Um, two great defenses, but I just, I like Georgia's offense a little bit more yeah. and able to dealing with it. So yeah. yeah, I like Georgia just very narrowly in this one, but five and a half points. I, I would probably take Alabama to cover. Uh, I just think, very close. The margin is the margins in this game are yeah so small. So right, uh, but just narrowly, give me Georgia. Yeah, no. To to your point, uh, in the past maybe I wouldn't trust Georgia's offense quite as much, but uh, Carson Beck has mm-hmm. just shown that he can be a gunslinger if he needs to. And Bama has been vulnerable at times on defense. Usually they're not. They're pretty dang good. But um, I, I would give the slight edge to Georgia's offense in that sense. If they're able to go out and establish a run game, 
Carson Beck's able to settle into the game. Um, it, it's just, it's could be a tough day for Bama's off uh, defense rather. And then their offense, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up and put up as many points needed. Um, so yeah, I, I just look for Georgia to get the win and, um, we could be looking at a, uh, Texas, Georgia matchup if uh, Texas is able to get in because of this uh, and maybe a Husky lo- yeah. uh, Florida state loss, but Hey, um, time will tell. And speaking of which, because I just mentioned it, Let's talk about just these are the more quick games that we can cover. But Louisville versus Florida State, fifteen and four. Uh, Florida State still undefeated, but man, have they looked late? Uh, looked shaky. And Louisville, they're coming off a loss in their own right to Kentucky, obviously thirty-eight to thirty-one. Um, yeah, who do you like in this game, Garrett? I think this one. It's uh, this one's such a tough one too. Um, it's just hard, so hard to judge this Florida State team not having Jordan Travis, uh, the spread on it's really small, only two and a half points in favor of Florida state. So, um, this is, this is another one I've just gone back and forth on. I think, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go Florida state in this (gasps) one. I I think their defense is just really, really solid. And I think it's going to give Louisville problems. Mm-hmm. And I think that Florida State's gonna be able to find a way on the ground to get things done. So I even without Jordan Travis, I just I trust Florida State a little bit more. I don't like that for playoff scenarios. Right. I think it'd be a lot easier if Florida State's out. I don't want to see them make it because I do think that they're not at that caliber. But um just in terms of this game, uh I I do trust Florida State a little bit more. Louisville, they've had turnover issues we mentioned the past few games. And I think Florida State's going to be able to expose that. And, um, you know, if, if someone's going to be put in a tough situation at quarterback or as a backup quarterback having to step in, uh, Florida State, I think, is in a really good spot to do it because they've got a great run game and they've got elite weapons on, outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, you've got two of the biggest targets in college football and Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson to throw to. So I think they can get enough plays, uh, make enough plays on offense to get it done. So. I like Florida State in this one. I think it's close. Uh, I don't think their offense is good enough to really pull away. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be maybe a pretty ugly game. But I, I like Florida State just because of their defense. I think they're going to win this one. I see your situation, and I'll raise you a situation. Louisville, as far as total defense, is ranked 19th in the country. You know who's a spot behind them? Florida State. Louisville, mm. offensively, total offense, is ranked 26th in the country. You know who's five spots behind them? Florida State. And I expect that to go much worse this time around because we've seen how shaky Florida State is in recent weeks. I personally don't trust their quarterback, uh, Rotomaker. He's in a tough position. I understand that. And he he did admirably getting them out of the swamp with a victory against a mediocre Florida team, might I add. Uh, but he was only 12 of 25 for 134 yards. And to your point, Garrett, they just relied heavily on the rush game and went with Trey Benson. Um, but to me, if I'm Louisville, I look at that and I'm licking my chops thinking, hey, uh, we just got to make sure that he doesn't even have time to look downfield to get it to Keon Coleman or Johnny Wilson. You see all those shiny weapons out there? You're not even going to have time to throw the ball over there because we're going to be in your face. We're going to be putting pressure on you. And, um, you know, uh, Keon Coleman, one reception, 24 yards last week. You can't do much if you can't touch the ball. So for me, 
I'm going to go with the upset here. And maybe, maybe this is just because I really don't want Florida State to be in this game. <laughs> I don't want them in the playoff. I'm going to take Louisville. Maybe, maybe a little biased there. But, uh, you know, I, I, Louisville, they've had some bright spots throughout the season. They still did put up 31 points against an SEC defense in Kentucky that has had good moments. Um, so give me Louisville in this one. 26 best offense and 19th best defense on the season. They get the job done. Knock Florida State out of playoff contention. Mm. That, that's pretty hopeful, but there you go. Um, number seven, Texas. Number 19, Oklahoma State. Thoughts there? Hmm. Oklahoma State and Texas. Uh, I'm pretty... I like Texas. Um they're they're big favorites in this one, fifteen and a half point favorites. Uh, I mean, the game's going to be in Texas, AT and T Stadium. Uh, yeah, I, they've been a little bit shaky at times, but I I can trust them. I think they're playing pretty solid as of late. They blew out Texas Tech last week, and you know I just trust them up front, offensive line, defensive line, solid defense, solid run game, great weapons, and. Yeah, I like them. I, I do like Oklahoma State. Uh, they've got a great run game. Ollie Gordon's been phenomenal this year. Almost 1,600 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns. Uh, he's been ridiculous, but against this Texas run defense, it's going to be so difficult. And I think that they, I think Texas just matches up well in that sense. I think they're going to be able to slow him down. And um, yeah, I, I like Texas. 15 and a half, again, that's a lot of points. Mm. Uh, but I do feel I, I I feel pretty comfortable picking Texas. I concur. Yep, I'm right there with you. Give me the Longhorns. Um, how about this one? 17th ranked Tulane, 25th ranked SMU. Top 25 matchup here. So yeah, um, that's a that's a pretty tough one as well. Um, this game as well as the Liberty New Mexico State game. Mm. Uh, are going to have implications just for a New Year's Six Bowl, not for the playoffs, obviously. But uh, you've got uh, Tulane right now is 22nd in the playoff rankings. Liberty's 24th. And, uh, you know, as a Liberty supporter myself, I'm really rooting for SMU in this one to get the upset on Tulane so that if Liberty wins, they can make a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, I mean, that'd be huge for us. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely rooting for SMU. Hopefully, if they get a win over Tulane, they don't jump Liberty still in the rankings. But because um, I mean, SMU's had a really good season as well. But yeah, that's uh, it's a tough one. I'll pick us, and I'm gonna pick SMU just because I want to win. Uh, but Tulane is favored by three and a half. They've had a really good season. Their only loss was to uh, to Ole Miss, and they played them pretty decently too. So mm. yeah, Tulane's got a really solid team. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick SMU. And then as far as Liberty New Mexico State goes as well, uh, obviously I'm picking Liberty in that one. I think I'm pretty confident in that. Liberty's got a really strong team. I mentioned it on here before, but uh, they're, uh, they've been phenomenal all season. Um, like for a while, they were top five in uh, rushing efficiency. And Pat, yeah, they're second, Liberty's second in the country in uh, yards per carry. And then as far as yards per pass attempt, they're, uh, they're fourth. So. Uh, you could say they're the um, Oregon of the East Coast. That's what some are saying, but uh, I digress. Well, there you go. You know what? You have me convinced. I'm taking Tulane. Gotcha. No, I'm going with Tulane uh, just because, just because now that I, I, I just think they're, they're 
more ready for the big moments like this. Um, they they, they we saw what they did they against are. USC. Uh, they, they're just a little bit more accustomed to it. They played. Uh, they, they had a their only loss of the season. They played real tough against Ole Miss. Um, so my gut just tells me Tulane, but I personally don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about uh, you know what Garrett Liberty New Mexico State last word all you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, said already. I'm, 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 I'm Liberty all the way. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I mean, eleven point favorites. They've, they've been dominant all year. So, um, you know, they beat New Mexico State already early in the season, thirty-three seventeen. Uh, mm. I, I, give me Liberty. Even after the or give big nuke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. It's it's binding, folks. Uh, even, <laughs> even after New Mexico State's big win at Auburn. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a huge win, huge upset. But um, yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that was a little bit fluky, obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah, li- li- like I said, Liberty. I mean, top four in both rushing and o- passing efficiency on offense. There, Caden Salter. Put him up there with for the Heisman. Unbelievable season. Mm. Give me liberty. Mm. You heard it, folks. Give me liberty. Give me death. And with that, we end this episode. Folks, episode 14. Thanks so much for joining us on this ride. As always, uh, please go ahead and like and subscribe. Uh, you can find us on social media, on Facebook or Twitter. Give us a follow. Say hello over there. Leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Facebook, or excuse me, not Facebook. Uh, Spotify, <laughs> Amazon, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iTunes. You can find us anywhere, folks. Find us there. Uh, and again, leave us that five-star For Garrett Thigpen, my co-host, I'm Garrison Hardy, signing off. We'll see you next week after all the craziness shakes out. Stay tuned.